Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM, let's create. Because it is, you know, really my turn to decide I want to make films was right after my first son. You know, I have footage of me and my wife talking about this this pivot to becoming a filmmaker at the same time that we're waiting for my first son. And so if I'm honest, I think a lot of this desire and hesitancy to protect my inner self, whatever that is, is in relationship to my, my, my two boys who really fundamentally altered my life. You know, I, I always talk about cinema altering my life, but my, my, my boys did that in a deeply existential way uh, almost immediately. You know, I felt a kind of responsibility and uh, felt uh, for the first time maybe in my life tethered and, and not so free-floating. That was Koganata. I'm San Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. I've been coming to Ebert Fest since 2012. It was originally called the Overlooked Film Festival back in the late 90s when the late Roger Ebert started it. But now, it is very much Ebert Fest. And without Roger, it is uh, Chaz Ebert and the wonderful team here carrying on its legacy. And the thing is, when the central figure in an institution passes away, two things either happen. One, the aforementioned institution shudders, or it is carried forward by those that were around him and those that 
wish they were around him when he was alive. And that is very much what is happening here in Champaign, Illinois. It is a one-of-a-kind film festival that lives on because of the critics who Roger knew and inspired, and also the filmmakers that uh, he was attracted to. Now, the festival shows movies that Roger never got a chance to see, and one of them this year is a film called Columbus. Directed by Koganata, it's a movie that you may have seen in theaters in 2017, as it played in certain parts of the country, though not everywhere. It tells the story of a Korean-born man, played by John Chow, who is forced to stay in Columbus, Indiana, when his architect father is in a coma. Here's a bit from the trailer. You like her? I think she's bright. You, of all people, should be in college. I just think I should stay here. You are smart and talented. You could do a lot better. Than what? You know of all the mess. <laughs> Suddenly, the place I'd lived my whole life felt different. Like I'd been transported somewhere else. Rewatching that trailer this morning, it dawned on me that that is uh, not exactly a great representation of this movie. Koganata started as an editor and documentarian, and for most people on the internet, a wonderful video essayist. Over the past few years, he created these visual essays online that tackled everything from neorealism to Brisson to Alfred Hitchcock to Stanley Kubrick and the One Point Perspective to Ozu in Passageways, to Richard Linklater on Cinema and Time. These artful pieces landed somewhere between academia and entertainment, and as a result, Koganata has built a steady following of people interested in his perspective. After mastering the art form of the video essay, he decided to make a pivot into filmmaking, and Columbus is his debut feature film. I don't want to go on and on about how brilliant of a movie it is. Uh, we talk a lot about it in this interview, along with his true reluctance to even being interviewed. It becomes meta at a certain point and then personal at another. And it was a really interesting conversation to have with someone who's clearly going to make a lot of great movies in the future. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Now, finally, here is Coconata. I think that's a fine place to start. I, I want to know, you've been asked this a thousand times because you've been interviewed a bunch for this movie, but now that we're a year away from the film's release and all that, what is Columbus to you now? Mm. Good question. Uh, yeah, you know, I feel grateful. It, it's something that, uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it, it was all overwhelming just to have an opportunity to make uh, a film that, just an opportunity to make a feature film was overwhelming and I felt so grateful to have that opportunity and then to make the kind of film that I sort of dreamed of making and 
so all of that, it, it's it's hard to really articulate because I think for so many of us who engage cinema, and I think you know even anyone who's listening, uh, I think if you love cinema, you, you can't help but think about the kind of movie you would make, whether you want to be a filmmaker or not. But you have uh, dreams of choices you would make, and then suddenly to have an opportunity to engage this medium that you've talked about, that you've thought about, that you've consumed. Um, yeah, it's, I, you know, it's, it's really hard to articulate. It's, it's, uh, part dream, part fantasy, part reality. So, yeah. yeah. When you were making all of those video essays, mm-hmm. is that the right term for I, what uh, you made? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what were the ideals of what were like, okay, I want to make X kind of movie. Was that something in mind or? When I was making the essays? No, the essays or whatever you would call them. I'm sure some people would not even qualify them as essays. I don't fully even know what those boundaries are. But, you know, for me, uh, at the time, I was uh, sort of making some docs that I, and really kinds of documentaries that I didn't love, you know, I, you know, I was just trying to make a living and, uh, and it was really coming out of a need to re-engage cinema in the way that um, had initially, you know, captured my attention. And so it was really, you know, at the time, I didn't think about it in any way, but a desire to even work with form. You know, we were shooting footage and I didn't always love the footage that I was editing for for certain projects. And, you know, just this idea that I could begin to edit footage that I loved, which wasn't mine, but, you know, that, that was masterful and begin to try to make something out of it. So a lot of it was just exploring the possibilities of that form. And then also identifying, uh, you know, obsessive directors who were returning to certain forms. I think that has always interested me. So, I mean, obsessive, I think, is like the best way to describe those video essays. That (laughs) they take a mind that is clearly so almost like single-mindedly focused on an ex-director at hand. Yeah. Has that always been a trait of yours, (laughs) this idea to obsess and to meticulously comb over something uh yeah 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 i was just my wife and i were just talking uh and about that you know because i you know if i'm driving in a town and i notice like uh the fonts on signs you know and it it will be really distracting and even at our house you know uh like are you complaining about the fonts on signs (laughs) and sometimes i yeah i can't i get really distracted by by certain kinds of forms and that has. I didn't. I don't think I fully. You know, when you're living your own life, you don't fully notice it. But my wife has been witnessing that, and and she was joking about about that. And I was, you know, also, uh, yeah. We were just kind of joking about it. But uh, yeah, I think my dad, you know, has uh, always sort of talked about forms to me as well. So it is something that I've always been mindful of. But in the world of film, too, I, you know, directors who where you just see a return to to certain choices, yeah, that interests me. Maybe more than just a director who's reinventing himself every time. I mean, I think that's interesting, but I am really, and I've said this before, but I my engagement with films is not just to sort of have some encyclopedia knowledge of them, but it is the people who are trying to it seems like they're trying to pursue something, you know, through this medium is, is really interesting to me. Uh, have you thought about what you're trying to pursue? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I, def- I definitely think I am 
you know, there's something that I'm trying to understand for sure, you know, and there's something about the medium that I am fascinated by, uh, you know, the, it's this sort of art form that is so innately temporal. And, you know, I do think our relationship with time as human beings is sort of central of, of what it means to be human. So there's some exploration of that. And, and it has drawn me to certain filmmakers who I think are really engaging time in, in cinema. And, you know, it's a long tradition of people like that. Yeah, you know, the movie, it has such an unmistakable time and place. Mm. Uh, I have been to Columbus only one time. I don't remember it much. It, yeah. it was not like a great trip. I have no great story. You didn't meet Casey, a Casey, and have a... Uh... Look, if I, if I met Casey, you know, my life would be a lot different okay. probably. Uh, I feel like I would have been married. I would have tried to like marry someone like that. Um, I don't even believe in marriage. I would try to marry. <laughs> I just... I was stunned by the level of specificity in this movie, the, the, the care that is taking, you know, I, I know you've been asked, like, what inspired you to tell a story there? But my question now is now that we're removed from the shooting of it, the making of it, was there a moment uh, on set where you realized, oh, you know what? This may not be a shitty movie. <laughs> Um, wow. You know, I'm sure for everyone, I was a bit of the mystery, like, okay, is this guy going to be able to direct a movie? Um, and then you were asking yourself that. No, I mean, I felt, you know, I'm sure again, uh, I'm sure you, you've felt would feel the same way, you know, where you've been thinking about film so much that when you're on the set, at least this felt it was, uh, true for me it felt remarkably uh, comfortable. Like I've been thinking about these choices that you get to make and, you know, directing is about making a, a lot of choices all the time. And, um, and that was such a, there was something so cathartic about that because, you know, before then it was just choices that were in my head. Now I had, I've, I've made, you know, work and, and work in this sort of medium before, so it wasn't altogether new. But what I was going to say is the other mystery, I think, was uh, Haley Lou Richardson in some ways because she was going to have to bear this really big role. And I, I think at the time, maybe there was a question, not for me, but just in general, like, is she going to be able to carry the weight of this in this way? And, you know, a few scenes into... Yeah, a, a few takes and, and after a few scenes, I think everyone realized, oh, she is special. You know, I remember my screen supervisor, my script supervisor leaning into me a number of times saying, I've done this for a long time. This, this, believe me, this is special. Yeah. And I think we all felt that. So I think in that moment. I mean, it's immediately apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Her presence. And it's, it's interesting too, because, you know, she is, um, you know, has all this, uh, energy and, and, uh, is, uh, really a happy girl. And, um, then, you know, you would call action and she would just become Casey. And so I think that's when we thought, well, if, if anything, you know, we have discovered this person who is such a presence on, on film. And of course, you know, John was also brilliant. And, I, you know, really with the actors, once we framed them and they were all in and so present, I think, yeah, I think at that point I thought, well, they're not shitty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. 
That's a good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned yesterday on the Q&A here at Aberfest mm-hmm. that the producers were skeptical of Haley. Mm. I also, I, I wanted to ask, which I think didn't get asked yesterday, but what else were uh, potential roadblocks mm. for them? I mean, given that you were given X amount of money, I don't yeah. know how much you were given, yeah, but yeah. some amount of money to mm-hmm. make this movie and you hadn't made something before. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be questions and concerns. Yeah, yeah. What were the questions and concerns? Yeah, and to clarify, uh, I think Danielle had mentioned her reluctance—not uh, reluctance, but she just had not heard about Haley Lou Richardson or hadn't seen her work. And at the time, she was bringing in, uh, you know, it's a, a little bit under a million dollars into it, and so. You know, it's one thing for the producers who had no money to say, yeah, just let's cast, you know, she, you know, was bringing in money and had financers. So I think she did want us to take a pause and say, hey, uh, can she do this role? But again, she was really, it didn't take much. I think as soon as she saw uh, some tape on on Haley, she was really convinced and everyone else was uh, supportive of that decision. And again, just to reiterate, the the actors were really remarkable. Um, I also want to be clear that I had made uh, a few shorts and and had been working, you know, as an editor and had shot quite a bit of stuff. So I knew that it wasn't, an, you know, an altogether new uh, form or medium, uh, not just a, a, in a sort of theoretical, critical way, but I, I was doing that for a bit. So you have sufficiently dismantled the question. No, no. <laughs> and now here we are. <laughs> but I just... Uh, we'll keep all of that in. Yeah, yeah. I don't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a better story if I've never, you know, uh, cut or, or shot anything, but... We care about the honest story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would say... Um, but yeah, but but with all that said, I've never made a, a feature film, uh, and certainly even though it's a modest budget for me, it was a gigantic budget, you know. And to work with actual, you know, Parker Posey and and Michelle Forbes and Rory Culkin and uh, of, of course John and Haley Lou, all of that was new. So yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Um, number one, I think we had 18 days to shoot it. I knew that I wanted to not just do this sort of uh, coverage and handheld. And, and I knew that I wanted to take these 18 days and try to shoot something where every shot really mattered and counted. So I think that's the thing is, can we make this kind of film in 18 days without much rehearsal where we are locked into locations for a certain day? Can we make this work? So I think it was like, are we going to be able to pull this off? Did you guys have a lot of coverage? Mm-mm. No, no. You know, like the scene uh, with Parker Posey and John Cho and the mirror, you know, we just shot that shot. So it was going to work. I mean, we, we did several takes, but we didn't. I, I think initially I had planned to cut in a little bit just so, you know, there would be some room. But once we got it, I think we realized, you know, it's going to be this or it's not going to work. And so we did that throughout, you know, there were uh, a way in which I think we wanted a scene to work. And then we didn't give ourselves much option in post to, to, for it not to work that way. I mean, that was one of the most impressively designed Mm. sequences in the movie, I think. And there are a whole bunch of those. Uh, In fact, you know, yesterday after the movie, my dad and I had lunch 
and I said they must have shot that all summer long in Columbus <laughs> because the the level of detail and and how intricately designed those shots are. Mm. It seemed to me that you must have like labored over that for months, mm. and to hear that it was done in eighteen days. Mm. Was there a moment on set when someone was like, "Look, we gotta move on. You gotta, you gotta like do a handheld thing here, yeah, yeah, and you just gotta like get your stuff and move the hell on." Yeah. Well, so here's where a little bit of experience helped me out. Is I have been in situations where you take your time at the beginning, and then the last few hours or days that you have, you know, you're just rushing through, and so you have this imbalance of material. You have some stuff that's great, and then you have all this stuff that was rushed. And I think from the get go, and I had talked to other people who've worked in, in film and they all gave that same warning too, which is uh, make sure that you are moving, you're moving forward so that you don't get yourself in that position. So that was um, something I carried with me into it. So I don't think we ever shot something but like 20 takes. I, you know, we were really um, pretty efficient. But yeah, there were times where, you know, that I think that's the, always the battle is... Uh, trying to keep moving forward and feeling like you want to get it right. And there were, there was one scene that we, there are two scenes that we shot and then I just knew we didn't get it. So uh, then, you know, the real push was like, I have to reshoot that scene. So then we had to even carve in more time. But, you know, think, thankfully with all the crew and the cast, uh, we we were able to move through things pretty efficiently. Yeah, yeah, I feel grateful. I know you probably knew this, but did the people around you know or understand the kind of composition you were creating? Like, was that, <laughs> I know there was a shot list probably, but yeah, yeah, was yeah. it storyboarded at all? Were people, did people have any idea of like the visual <laughs> sense? Because your movie has a very specific language. Yeah, yeah. And most films that play Sundance yeah. definitely yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had a kind of uh, sort of lookbook. I had an aesthetic that I think we, you know, the DP, Elijah Christian, and I talked about quite a bit. Um, but, you know, the I think the initially how those were going to be put together, because I, I was trying to say, you know, we don't always have to follow the shot, reverse shot, and, and even you know, there's a certain kind of continuity, the sort of language of continuity. You know, I, I, I just knew I was, how I was going to edit that. And so there was like trying to come across that it's going to work. I promise you it's going to work. And once Elijah and then Keejan Kim, who was one of the producers, who, who's also a cinematographer, he was the cinematographer for Spall Night, us three really were mapping it out and having that discussion of how are we going to cut this? And, you know, a lot of times I would cut from very wide to, to like a medium shot, but, but try to avoid this sort of reverse shot. So just once we explained how that was going to work and us three kind of began to understand how that would work. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I think it, it was something that maybe until I made a cut that people didn't fully you right. know, understand. What was in the lookbook? Um, you know, I had stuff like from Tony Takatani and Ida and just, just other, you know, photographs that, that sort of captured, and it was really about a sense of space and framing and, and, uh, you know, there was, um, yeah, it was about composition in, in that regard. Yeah. yeah. And of course, a lot of Ozu, you know, and, you know, I wonder in watching it yesterday, 
I had not seen it in a theater, actually. I was one of those idiots who mm-hmm. saw it on like, their laptop over a screening link. There are a few different moments in the movie where you make a very conscious choice to hang back. You know, where mm-hmm. you, they talked about it at the Q&A, but, you know, when Haley is explaining why she loves this building, mm-hmm. you remove yourself from that. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's a few different scenes where there's a moment to get especially emotional, mm. I think, <laughs> where I think you let them get emotional, but at a distance. Mm. And I guess I was wondering why that was. <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking for my own self, I'm, I think the exact opposite. Right. I think I'm someone who like leans into that yeah. sometimes annoyingly so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's probably about preference and uh, what has, you know, in your own relationship to cinema in, in those kinds of moments. And, and you know, I've, I've watched a lot of cinema that is like right in your face during those times. And, and some of them have really worked on me, you know, and, I, and then I, I've also in, engaged cinema where there is some distance so given those choices, you know, given that experience and the, and the choice when you're, you get to make the call. Um, yeah. But I think I've always knew that I was going to um, kind of uh, elide those moments a little bit. I know. I think for me, sometimes it does have an effect of allowing me to lean in as a viewer, as opposed to the image leaning into you and then, you know, and confronting you, uh, if there is some space that, you know, you have the permission or the, some sort of more comfortable space to kind of, uh, lean in and focus, you know? So if there is an image that is, whether it's like off of a mirror or whether it, um, is further out uh you it almost requires you to sort of focus it more um yeah to tune yourself a little bit more into it do you think your skill set is more based around uh, the technical side rather than the emotional side of making movies Mm. yeah i mean you know i think about form quite a bit but i do think that the thing that i am pursuing is some marriage between those where uh you know i've seen a lot of things that are formalist that don't move me at all that just feel you know um exercises yeah they feel like exercises and i i didn't want to do that now i'm sure there are some people who are like well you did it you know <laughs> this is cold and and uh i felt nothing uh and, and i'm sure i'm sure that that <laughs> have you that, met those people uh, yeah well no but i'm uh, but probably because they didn't come talk to me but i'm sure they <laughs> you know i'm sure they're the ones who uh you know walk out and and uh, have nothing to say because you know it does require you know, a certain kind of uh, patience and attention. But I know I didn't want to make that. You know, I, I've, I've had those experiences where I've walked out of something and maybe didn't feel connected to it emotionally. So the desire, I think, is for me to make something that has a certain kind of humanity to it. And, and I would even say warmth, you know. Um, there's a kind of modernist cinema that is all about alienation. You know, it's all about creating that environment of being alienated so that's what you're supposed to feel you know you're not supposed to feel like connected or or (laughs) or a kind of warmth and so yes i i you know form is something that i i feel like i can't help but obsess about but i i my desire is to marry that with emotion and uh, you know Haley's character 
is, I think, identifiable for a lot of people because she's grappling with a very common but uneasy question, which is to stay or leave at an age where you can do either. Yeah, yeah. And either choice will really mm. change the trajectory of your life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't help but think about my own situation, about about leaving you know, all the people you grew up with and love and care about to go to school, which seems like, <laughs> it's it seems, thinking about it now, to get rid of a whole bunch of people to like read a book um, and to get an education seems so bizarre. And at the time, you don't know that there's going to be just new people when yeah. you get there and you'll forget about everyone else and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, I was wondering, I mean, I don't know anything about your life at all and, and we don't have to get too much into it but did you have a similar departure or leaving family i know you were born in south korea mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. at that age in the, your early 20s mm. what did you do what were you were you did you go to school did you have that leaving yeah well you know i felt whatever that break is you know i was like the youngest uh of um three older siblings and you know even then I was pretty sensitive about departures, you know, with my oldest sister leaving and then another, you know, another sister leaving and w the effect that them leaving the house had and this sort of... Uh, had on your parents. Uh, uh, parents or just whatever that space, you know, we were a family of six and then five and then four and then, you know, and those breaks aren't permanent. It's not like a death, but it... it it was also like a death and and suddenly people who were constantly present are suddenly absent and and then when they do return it's not the same you know it doesn't feel the same and there's something that that mixture of happiness and sadness you know like they're really happy to be going and and we're happy for them and but but then you know i remember i can so distinctly remember when we dropped my sister not my oldest but the the second sister to to college you know we were driving off and just like tears were you know streaming down her face and i and i, I remember i knew she was happy but she was like so sad and trying to process that as the youngest like and my own feelings about it so that, you know, and I would feel like that if I went to some summer camp and then, you know, you say bye, whatever that feeling is that we all know about. And then you go home and you feel that whatever the blues of like, oh, this memory and it's not there. And I, I, I want to go back there. So I think I... Do you remember thinking about that at that age? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, whatever that feeling was. How old were you? Oh, man. You know, I mean, it was... Uh, I'm trying to think I was probably you know around nine nine seven seven to eleven you know I think those uh, you know and and then older and so yeah I think I was there was that thing whatever departure uh yeah I think I I I felt sensitive to that whatever that is and so trying to process you know there's something in there that that emotion that is both a kind of, uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about the bittersweet feelings, but um, yeah, yeah. So I think I have, I have wrestled with that. And then in my own life, yeah, when I left, you know, it was... Were you 18? Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I know that my, my dad, you know, he left, you know, he's had a sort of crazy exits in his life and 
so yeah, I think I've I've always you know that that has always resonated. Did you notice when you left and came back that you had the same feeling about when your sisters left and came back, where it was just it, it wasn't yeah. quite no, it's, all the things are in the exact same yeah, spot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't exactly feel the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I think you know even with the film, you know, I knew that uh, there's this death, there's this capital death, uh, capital D death uh, of uh, Jin's father. But I, again, I think I knew that I, I really wanted to start focusing on the smaller death of Casey leaving, which wasn't permanent. You know, when she says bye to her mom, it's not as if she's never going to come back, that they're never going to see each other. But she's so affected. She's more affected than Jen, you know, is about the possibility of losing his dad, right. you know, forever. But we understand it because we do know that even if she comes back three months from now, that things have changed, you know, that whatever that thing that they held on to it yeah those things change and yeah you're right you come back and it and it's the same but it's completely not the same Haley is like tentatively interested in doing architecture she's actually interested but she's couched her passion for it because yeah. she's fearful of leaving did you know at that age when you went to school that you wanted to make movies what was mm. your what was in your head at that time <laughs> no no i was just trying to figure myself out you know and, and honestly <laughs> that was that has uh been true you know i don't think i ever had a career plan uh, you know in regard to figuring uh, yourself out has always been true yeah like like making choices that were um i think i probably had more freedom in that than my my siblings because i was the youngest and at that point you know my parents were like do what you need to do and so kind of figuring out like what is this life about is what drove me for a long uh, uh, maybe still does and it's just different mediums or different subjects that that get to that question but yeah I don't think I thought about sadly didn't think too much about career as much as uh what what is this life about and I had some opportunity to why sadly Absolutely. Maybe that, that's a great question. It's not sadly, you know, but, but yeah, you, you know, as, as far as meandering, I'm sure some people are like, you know, you have to figure out what, and, and it is a privilege, I suppose, to not have to think about, to not think about how is this pursuit, whether it's education or other things going to make me money. But, you know, for a, a good while, I didn't have, I didn't think about, it. I mean, obviously I got jobs and, and made, made money, but I didn't ever think about, um, yeah, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any master plan of, of, of you know, that reflected in the choices that I made. You know. Do you wish you had? Uh, no, no. I mean, I think I am who I am because of, uh, yeah, but there were, you know, you... You seem torn about this. Yeah, I am torn. That's a good question. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, there are certain turns and pivots that I made that feel like, wow, why, you know, and, and you, you know, you go down the road uh, for f a few years and, but then you, you, you know, it's, it's, I think it's always the case that uh, you wouldn't be who you are without all of those, you know, decisions. So, yeah, yeah. I feel like I've made a lot of really great decisions <laughs> and uh, a lot of really awful ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, because you—I'll uh, just be honest with you—you you asked me about the Roxy, and yeah. I, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I took that job in earnest, mm. and it ended in disaster. Mm. And when you brought it up, I was like, you know, I don't actually really want to fucking talk about this yeah. at all because it's really, <laughs> really painful. You didn't know that, of course. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was also wonderful in so many ways, right? 
I'm curious, did you have um, a life choice at that age of 21, 22, when you're like starting out and wanting to do something, but you don't know what, mm -hmm. where you look back at it now in hindsight, and you're like, oh, maybe I should not have done X. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you know what you really want to do, you know, the question is, can you go backwards in time and say, oh, I, I think I, you know, I think a lot of people envy the the 12 year old who knows exactly what they want to do. And then they start, start focusing in on that. And then that's what they end up doing and they love it. But that feels like such a rare thing. And it's certainly, yeah, yeah. And it certainly isn't me. So I can look back and say, God, I wish I would have been more focused earlier. I wish I would have started pursuing certain things earlier. But on the other hand, too, you know, I know people who have not lived life and, and the, the wide variety of life, and they don't have anything necessarily to say because it's all about a particular practice. So, no, I don't look back and think. Um, I mean, I think if anything, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, uh, it's like I'm thinking while I have this microphone in my face. So it's, it's, it's hard to have some clarity, but I, I think I... Does the microphone in your face bother you? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Because I could tell, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you're a very charming person oh. away from a microphone. Yeah, yeah. And even on here you are. Yeah. But I did notice that there was like a change in tenor <laughs> and tone. Yeah. Does yeah. it does it bother you to be asked questions? Uh, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. I think and you know honestly probably even out you know without a microphone in my face it is you know I think for me you know I have this outlet and have always maybe tried to find an outlet to organize not even to organize my thought but to express myself whether it's writing or making these little pieces. Uh, and that is where I'm most comfortable. You know, I just it, like in some ways, Columbus captures so many of the things that have occupied my thoughts uh, for the last, you know, 10, 20 years. So it's there, you know, it's there in the form that feels really comfortable to me. And so to articulate, uh, you know, to try to, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my, I, th I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's well, hard it's to, it's to, it's messier when you have to do it like this. Yeah, it's of course, the, when you can <laughs> you can edit something for how yeah. long did you edit Columbus? I mean, you know what? You, you'll be surprised, but I had to have the first cut. Um, I think it was like three, four weeks. It was uh, not not. Yeah, it was like uh, I think it ended up being maybe four weeks. But you were writing right. the script for a year or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what you're saying is you're more comfortable in a uh, controlled piece of art that you dictate, yeah, to express how you feel, right? Than talking to a stranger. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's understandable. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's good to just address this because other otherwise, um, I don't know. People aren't always honest about that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess now that, I'm, that you've said it, I'm curious. You know. You, when you came in here, you started asking me a bunch of questions. Yeah. You asked me like nine questions. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is interesting because I, we've had a lot of people on the show and I've done a lot of interviews and you can learn a lot about someone in the time before we start recording. Mm. 
And for you to ask a lot of questions means to me that <laughs> you're much more comfortable asking these questions uh-huh. than me asking you questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that true in your day-to-day life as well? Yeah, I'd much prefer to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's a genuine sort of curiosity of people. But, yeah, I'd much rather ask questions than to answer questions. And, but what about know, a genuine curiosity and exploring, like, your psyche? Mm-hmm. Does that sound terrible? Yeah, it sounds pretty pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, number one, it's probably not that interesting. Uh, I don't buy that. And number two, you know, I'm sure, you know, anyone listening, you know, that they have, yeah, it's a, it's interesting, right? Because I think, you know, with the microphone removed, you know, you and I would have a conversation. It might be a different kind of conversation, which is great. It's great for human beings to have these kinds of conversations. But then there is something performative or 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 some aspect of suddenly um broadcasting uh or amplifying a conversation and i'm sure you know and i've had this you know where i'm listening to someone and i love interviews honestly so i don't know why i'm trying to deconstruct it or or or, uh undermine it because i listen to interviews all the time and when you listen to an interview you know uh you have your own answers in your head and i'm sure uh, you know anyone who might be listening would have their own answers and much better answers than me you know it's just sort of fumbling around (laughs) Uh, so, you know, maybe the uh, best case scenario, this is a prompt for other people to have, you know, to answer your, your good questions and answer it much better than I, but yeah. So I don't even know why I'm trying to dismantle uh, the interview process, but there's something when I have to, when I suddenly find myself here, I just think of myself driving or listening to interviews and thinking, why is this guy answering, you know, these questions? <laughs> like, I'd, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'd much rather hear some other people uh, answer these questions than, than, than myself. Yeah. yeah that's Have you always been so hard on yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think I do. Uh, see, I think that part of the problem is I'm it's like, I have to find clarity to be able to answer these questions because I am probably judging myself before I even, you know, answer these questions. I'm, uh, yeah. So there's probably that, that, that seems painful. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, no, it's not too painful. I'm, I'm not, uh, like, I don't feel like I'm condemning myself, but I'm probably like wondering. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it could be a little bit maddening i suppose <laughs> you know like yeah should, do i wish i could just sort of sit down here and easily answer your questions yes yes that's <laughs> that is my answer you know we have not had anyone say a sentence like that on the yeah. show <laughs> there you go so yeah, you've done yeah. something original yeah, on here yeah today. oh my gosh yeah yeah <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah um i'm gonna ask you a few questions that are ones you've not been asked before okay I haven't written them down, as you can see. Yeah, yeah. This is all off the top. Okay, improvise. I want to know, given what we've just talked about and how careful you are and mm-hmm. and, and a little self-critical and all that, there are not that many filmmakers that have kids. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this is not like a, a real... A lot of filmmakers avoid that mm-hmm. because I think it's a real pain in the ass to make movies. <laughs> and to have kids is like adding on to that. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm interested... This is a longer explanation for this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realize now. But the the reason I think you're wrong about 
you not being interesting mm-hmm. is because you don't make a movie like Columbus mm. if you're not interesting. I just don't. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never met anyone. Mm. Or I don't know anyone who's made a great movie that is uh, a huge like fucking bore of a person. <laughs> I don't buy it, mm-hmm. and I know you're downplaying yourself. So I guess I'm wondering, what are you going to tell or telling your kids about? being a functional adult yeah well okay i think i'm glad you mentioned my kids because i i do think that maybe that is my protection of my myself you know and and airing out whether it's my history or my you know who i am because it is you know really my turn to decide i want to make films was right after my first son you know i have footage of me and my wife talking about this this pivot to becoming a filmmaker at the same time that we're waiting for my first son. And so I think that has, I've been aware of, so if I'm honest, I think a lot of this desire and hesitancy to protect my inner self, whatever that is, is in relationship to my, my, my two boys who really fundamentally altered my life. You know, I, I always talk about cinema altering my life, but my, my, my boys did that in a deeply existential way uh, almost immediately. You know, I felt a kind of responsibility and uh, felt uh, for the first time maybe in my life tethered and, and not so free-floating, which is common, I think, for, for, for parents. Um, so... There is something about wanting to keep that kind of intimacy about who I am and reserve it for for them and for them not to have to negotiate with, you know, some other, you know, just so. so Another text. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think that that's right. I think there's something in that relationship so that. um, That's a challenging balance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, so I, you know, they are first and foremost, you know, I, I think about the line, you know, uh, in the movie itself. And I'm I'm really always, that line haunts me, you know, where Jen says, you know, he never paused his life for me. You know, I think about that because I've been busier than ever. And I think, oh, it would be so sad if my sons would then, you know, see this line that I wrote and be able to express that and say, oh, you know, he didn't pause uh, for me. So there is this constant accountability that I feel towards them during this very busy time to save space for them and to have something that isn't, uh, yeah. So I, I do, I think, I think I'm trying to protect that a bit. I think that's right. You, you fear that that line is going to become true for you? No, no, I, I feel determined for that line not to be true. You know, I feel that uh, I want to make sure that uh, my boys have my attention regardless. Now, I'm a, you know, I've chosen a, a field that requires a, a lot of uh, energy and attention, but it's my, I feel determined to attend to my boys. You know, my, my oldest son is here with me. Uh, which has been great, and being able to carve, making sure even here to have time with him. So I think even in my fumbling around to to answer questions and not want to reveal too much or whatever that is, it, it is, I think, in relationship with 
deciding that I was going to do this very public thing. Of course, you know, I feel so, you know, when most people say I'm going to be a filmmaker, you know, the chances of actually being able to make a film and <laughs> be in this position where I get to talk about it is difficult. But I think even at that moment, I knew that I was going to be in a field where I was going to be publicly making things that expressed myself. So maybe I also wanted to protect a side that's more explicitly trying to express myself. Right. So as much as I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, I, I don't mean to like be like, oh, I'm not interesting because I obviously have this side of me that thinks that whatever I write should be brought, should be made into a film. You right. know, that's really, I, I know. This that, was a little bit my point. Yeah, yeah. So I know that there's this side where I really feel like I have a lot of things that deserve to be financed and, and people to rally around it. So I know that, I definitely have that side of, of self-importance where I feel like I have something to express and that there should be time and energy towards it. So maybe there's that other side when a microphone is in my face, it's like, it feels too audacious to say, and you should listen to all this wisdom that I have, you know, when you've already, you know, if, if given a choice, I'd much rather you watch my film than hear me talk directly. Right. You know, like this part feels much more like potentially BS than like a film that you can really kind of thoughtfully craft. Although um, if people are listening, they've probably done both. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. You know, you you're doing great. I mean, this is the most, I, <laughs> I feel like, uh, like a con yeah, this is a confessional. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's the positive. You <laughs> yeah. said something that was really fascinating that I want to backtrack on for one moment. You talked about how when you were having your first kid that you and your wife were having these conversations about you making a movie mm -hmm. while she is like about to give birth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Which, to be clear, we're, we're, we've adopted both of our boys. So oh, okay. we're, 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 okay. that's like, yeah, we're waiting for, yeah. Okay. So you've adopted these two kids. You, your, your wife didn't give birth. My fault for presuming no, that. No, no, right. And I should have clarified that. No, no. But I, honestly, and I think for people who have adopted, it certainly feels like that. You know, you do have your waiting <laughs> and it, it, there's some there's some laboring process. The of, approval of, process seems crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, once you have your first photo, you know, there is some sort of that period of, of agonizing and, and having this real desire to be with this child that now feels very much connected to to your life. Of course, there's. It's also incomparable to to uh, having a, a baby come out of you. But there's your own unique process for sure. Whatever it is, exactly, it's pretty momentous. Either yeah, way, I, my, yeah. my, my point is, is that to be bringing in two new people into your life and adding them to your family, yeah, yeah, while also making a pivot, a major pivot yeah. in a career. Mm -hmm. That seems and sounds like it could be chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> How did you manage that? Yeah. I, well, we talk about that. It, it was the craziest time to do that. You guys talk about it now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, because... Because um, it's worked out. Yeah, because it, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Because after uh, all that, that, that time, you know, um, and really it was, you know, uh, like a 10 year process because we made this decision, you know, um, to really pivot away from academia, I was sort of, uh, in, in a position to, to follow that career. And yeah, and it was, it was crazy and a bit chaotic. And then again, to try to also prioritize the kids in the process, <laughs> you know, it, it was, um, 
it was a wild choice to make. You know, I, I think in part, I, I felt I had this confidence because my, my mom and dad, you know, decided to come to America with four young kids. Well, you know, they, they ranged from an age, but they had a family of four. They were still fairly young and they were doing well. And then they kind of rebooted. And I remember thinking about that quite a bit, that if my dad could do it and in a different language, you know, and a different culture and take that leap to say, I'm going to do something that I feel it will be better for me and for the family. You know, I have a, an advantage because I'm, I'm going to do it in my own language, you know, so. Mm. So their, re their reboot mirrored yours, except I, uh, you didn't have to move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Cross. I didn't have to cross country, learn a new language, you know, have zero resources. Yours so, was slightly easier. Yeah, yeah. So I think I kept that in mind. Uh, you know, I, we talked about that. But it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, a, a bit crazy. Did you and your wife ever consider just saying, you know what, I don't know if you can make a movie right now. You know, and I, I, my wife was, has always been really supportive. Uh, and, you know, we've been sort of bohemian for a good while. You know, we've been living like graduate students forever, you know, and just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't not long ago where someone came to our house and said, uh, you know, now it's been, uh, it's probably been about, uh, yeah, it, it was a, a while ago. But, you know, we would be like hanging blankets up instead of having curtains on. You know, we were just kind of living like we're, we're, we're grad students for, a good while, but, um, yeah, but so she was always supportive. I don't think there was ever a time where she was like, okay, this has to change. So no, no, I think it was like, Hey, here's this thing that I feel I desperately want to do and need to do, but it took a while before I, you know, before Columbus. So you two both felt like that you needed to like metaphorically graduate yeah. from being <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah 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 so the blankets i mean yeah i think there was a time and place where that was okay and you probably needed to move on yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's gonna be real embarrassed about that that didn't that wasn't like uh yesterday or even a few years ago but you there know, was a moment we'll call yeah. it 30 years ago yeah yeah sure <laughs> we'll, we'll, look we can make stuff up okay, on this great. podcast yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter fantastic it doesn't matter. yeah yeah how do you feel now about this interview no. <laughs> well, we can get to that at the okay. end. About, How do I feel about, now about, about your where new, I am? About your new life. Yeah. yeah. Great. You know, I feel fortunate. I think I've always felt a bit fortunate, you know, because no matter what the struggle has been, you know, I have gotten to pursue what is occupying me at that moment. And I know that's a desire that a lot of people have, you know, to pursue what they, they love or they're interested in. And that's not always feasible, but I do feel like even though there has been struggle, I've been able to do that. And now I'm in this position to hopefully be able to make uh, films, you know, for a living. And, you know, I say that knowing that, that there are also odds stacked against that but I feel hopeful. I feel fortunate. I, you know, I feel hopeful. Uh, you know, on the off chance that one day one or both of your kids listen to this interview. Mm -hmm. Apologies, first of all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Second of all. I said I wouldn't do interviews, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Second of all, mm -hmm. what is something you wish they knew about being a kid or just being a person in the world? Mm. Hmm. 
Well, hopefully, you know, I, I've said that to them directly uh, many times, so this wouldn't be the first time they would hear it, you know. But I, I would say, uh, you know, it is my greatest wish for them to care. I, I know, you know, about about anything, you know, for them to just be people who care and are not disaffected um, or disconnected to the world and for them to be inquisitive, you know, and I think um, for them to care and be acquisitive and to be playful, you know, those those three things are the balance and it's not always uh, easy. And I think, uh, you know, we're living in a time where it, it's where we have to care more more than, you know, we have to care, but it's also easy to be really cynical. You know, this is the best, I think the easiest thing to do is be cynical, you know, to not care and to not have any belief that things can be better because then um, you don't have to feel responsible for it, you know? Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Do you no longer feel that way or have you ever felt that way? Like cynical? Yeah. Yeah, no, I had a period of feeling really cynical. You know, I think you can get, I think, you know, if you are someone who have, has like intellectual curiosity and you read and you're, and then you dive deep into that world, you know, uh, it gets a, bleak pretty quick. Yeah, it's a mixed bag because I love that, you know, it's like intellectual curiosity and then you read and, but yeah, it's real easy to suddenly like uh, not believe in anything and and there are real reasons for that you know you you can deconstruct anything and there are legitimate reasons that that's not a bad practice to do but you know you can also stop caring and be really uh yeah you know you can do the easy thing it's easy to to uh dismiss things you know it's just the easiest position to to take uh because you don't have to be responsible for anything you know, so. you know you've chosen the exact opposite job uh <laughs> for not caring which is uh having to care about a lot of things most of which are are not like yeah terribly important yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. ultimately contribute to making the movie yeah yeah and you know there's that that tension between i think jen and casey you know when jen is uh saying something like like i think jen is uh really sin i think he's become really cynical and about this medium that his his father so care you know that that's definitely me kind of working out also a bit of my like that academia side which um i presume this but i did not want to impose yeah that. yeah so there is that you know him trying to figure out how do we talk about things that that matter and Again, I'm not like, I've not suddenly become anti-intellectual or to think one, like history doesn't matter or or facts and all those things do matter. But it's also, you know, there's no real statement in Columbus where it's like, I've come to this conclusion. And if you really take this part film, you, you, you'll know my view because I don't. I think the great thing about a film is you don't have to come to conclusions. Like you can have characters who are genuinely having conversations that they don't know the answer and you don't know the answer. Which is a refreshing thing in academia. You are always positing a position and having to kind of make a case for it. But in art, hopefully your work isn't like, this is what I want to teach you. Uh, that's not interesting to me. And so whatever they're having a discussion about are the discussions I've, I, I have in my head and the discussions I think about in regards to my kids to how they engage things. In the film, there's a conversation about evaporating and emerging interests mm. like what intrigues mm. a person yeah yeah and you have another 
words been talking about this right now about caring. Mm-hmm. I think you've been using the word mm-hmm. caring. Mm-hmm. In 2018, at where you're at in your life, what do you care about? Mm. Yeah, you know, I care about truth. <laughs> and, you know, it, like I feel disheartened that we live in a country in which there just seems to be different realities. And there's an academic intellectual side to understand how we all construct our own realities, but living in a, in a situation in which there are our worlds and people are just, uh, yeah. So I care about some common truth. You know, I care about that. I, you know, I care about my boys who are about to become teenagers. They're on the brink of that. So how they navigate that, but, you know, but we've been, you know, on my car ride with uh, my son, you know, we're talking about truth, you know, uh, uh, you know, his own version of it and trying to understand it. And so, you know, it's hard because I have this sort of uh, philosophical understanding of truth and trying to make sense with um, how we live, you know, and so uh, that, so that, yeah, I mean, I care about whatever that is, you know, um, humanity, uh, you know, I, I care about cinema, you know, I, I, I feel like I have to apologize because I really deeply care about cinema and and a kind of cinema that that has meant something to me. So uh, the state of that and how to how to make it, how to engage it. Yeah. Have you gotten any closer to your truth? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's always the same distance. You know, I don't, but I, I, you know, for me, I think the pursuing of it. Yes, in the sense that I think the thing that I realize is that it, it is in the pursuit, that, that, that there's clarity to whatever that is. But it, I don't know if one gets closer to it or if one, I, I certainly don't think one ever actually obtains it. But I think you get closer by pursuing, but I feel like the distance is always the same. You know, <laughs> if that, but, you know, but that, that the minute you stop, the, 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 the truth gets further and further away. So I think, I think maybe the most that we can do is try to keep up with that distance. Uh, and that's a good thing. But if we stop, then truth keeps moving past, you know, further away from you. Yeah. Well, we have to stop now. Okay. But perfect. <laughs> I think, uh, I hope we've gotten a little bit closer in this uh, yeah. conversation. Yeah. Thank you. This was a, a unique conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I hope when you go through it, it's like, what the, you know, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. Coconata, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Special thanks this week to the Ebert Fest team here in Champaign, Andrew Michael Hall, Chaz Ebert, and the rest of the crew. Without them, this episode would not have happened. 
If you'd like to learn more about Koganada, you can do so at his website at www.koganada.com. You can find all his wonderful video essays on that website or his Vimeo page, which we'll include in our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. If you liked today's episode, you'd probably enjoy uh, past conversations we've had with other directors, including Kelly Reichardt, Steve James, James Gray, Chloe Zhao, Sean Baker, and many, many more. You can find all of those on our website, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk Easy Pod. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our associate producer is Valerie at Naver, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week with Julie Dash. So long, everyone. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.